welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and once again, we are glad, we are thrilled that you have taken an hour out of your coronavirus quarantine to be with us and talk about uh, bowhunting and archery and lots of great stuff that we are still going to enjoy uh, amidst the uh, craziness that is out there in the world. And today I've got a guest who has been uh, away for way too long since we've had him on the podcast. And that is uh, field editor, bow hunter extraordinaire, champion archer, Mr. Randy Ulmer. Randy, welcome back to the show. It has been quite a while. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure, and uh, you know, I reached out to you last week about maybe doing a show and uh, talking about some shooting fundamentals, and I can't think of anybody better, and I'm looking forward to diving into that with you, but you know, first, I got to ask you, because I've been asking everybody here the last couple weeks, how are you getting by with uh, all this coronavirus uh, uh, stuff, and, and how is the Ulmer family? Well, we're doing pretty good. Both my kids, well, uh, both my sons are, uh, one of them's in, in university and, and of course they closed the school down. So he is, uh, self quarantining as am I and my other son, uh, uh, just graduated from college and he's, uh, got a brand new job and he's working from home. So he's self quarantining. We're, we're, we're doing great. I, I live out in the country quite a ways. So, um, you know, we don't have the population density that, that seems to be the trigger for uh, so many cases. So I, I personally am doing pretty good. And, uh, you know, one thing that a lot of people might not know about you, uh, at least in the bow hunting community, because we all know you as a bow hunter and archer, but you're also a veterinarian. So I wonder if as a as a doctor, have you watched this with a particular interest? And do you have any unique insights to offer us on, on the medical side of things? Well, no, you know, I have had uh, virology, you know, uh, bacteriology and epidemiology. So just having that sort of background um, I do see some some flaws in in the way people are handling this. I was happy to see when I do go shopping. Uh, I you know I I wear a surgical mask just because the problem with this particular virus obviously is that people may not show any symptoms but are still shedding the virus and still uh, able to um, infect other people. So. I've been wearing a mask uh, when I go into busy places for quite some time. And the one thing I just heard from uh, somebody at uh, the World Health Organization is I see a lot of people in the grocery stores wearing gloves and not a mask. And and it it always interested me because uh, people with gloves can touch surfaces that are contaminated and then touch their face. uh, what the uh, the uh, the person from WHO said is, hey, you're much better off, um, you know, 
keeping your hands sanitized with a hand sanitizer. What I do when I go into the grocery stores, I, I do wear a mask and I also, uh, rather than wearing gloves, I just carry a little uh, hand sanitizer uh, cloth with me uh, that I have uh, wet with alcohol. So uh, that way, even if I do happen to touch my face, I'm good. Um, so I, I've been very careful for three or four weeks now just because I realize um because I did do a little herd health um, uh, when I was practicing uh, and realized how quickly uh, viruses can spread, especially this one. Uh, so I've been careful for quite some time, and I'm, I'm kind of happy to see uh, that, that people are getting a little more careful. It just really surprises me when I go to the grocery store now and I don't see more people wearing masks. Yeah, so bottom line is Randy Almer's taking this seriously and sounds like you're you're encouraging others to do the same. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's a very small inconvenience to wear a mask and to to sanitize your hands. But, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Christian, uh, Americans tend to be the rugged individualists, the people that don't think anything bad's going to happen to me. It's always going to be the other guy. Um and in this particular situation, yeah, you might survive the disease, but uh, maybe your elderly grandparents at home or, um, you know, other people in your family won't. So I think we kind of have to think of ourselves as uh, as a herd or as a group, uh, and we have to consider the the herd health, the, the, the group health. You know, my buddy and I were just talking uh the other day that uh, I would imagine the anti-vaxxers are going to get vaccinated for this when a vaccine's available. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Probably so. Um, well, listen, I, I was going to ask you one more thing before we jump into all this shooting information, and that is um, – how is this affecting your spring plans? Did you have any hunts lined up for turkeys or anything like that this year that might not be going down? No, I, I really did. Well, yes, I did actually. I had a. I was going to try to hunt a ghouls turkey in Mexico, and uh, Mexico has shut down their borders for us. I live in Arizona, so I'm real close to Mexico. I have a friend that uh, has a few ranches down there, and, and we were going to go ghouls turkey hunting. So I'm not going to do that trip. Um, and really I, I was uh, kind of planning on a spring vacation or a spring break trip with my sons and, and we did not do that either. So, man, uh, not seriously though. I, I can do most of my work from home. Uh, so it's not a huge inconvenience for me. Um, so my plans haven't changed that much, but, uh, I have dusted my bow off and, uh, have started shooting my bow because, uh, well, for two reasons, uh, shooting bow has always been a very, in order to shoot well for me, I have to be, I have to have my mind kind of totally blank and I have to be very relaxed. And, uh, if I do have any anxieties that I'm dealing with, typically after I shoot my bow for an hour, hour and a half, they're completely gone. And, uh, so I have been shooting my bow. Uh, and also it's about the time of year where I start cranking things up pretty good, just getting ready for the fall season. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue to, to jump into our discussion because, you know, again, as I had told you earlier, I think one of the things that makes this discussion really timely is, um, you know, two, two of the things that you just said. Uh, one, right, um, there's a lot of people 
who have more time on their hands than they're used to having because we're all stuck at home. Some of us are still working. Uh, many people, unfortunately, have been laid off. And uh, again, unfortunately, it's likely that many, many more of us are going to be laid off if this continues for a length of time. So not only do we have time on our hands, but we've got stress levels and anxiety levels that are probably not very healthy. I know that just even being here for the last two and a half weeks with my wife and my two teenage sons, uh, my stress level, you know, is a little bit higher than it's normally at just because you're you're under each other's feet all the time and, and you definitely kind of get, get on one another's nerves here and there and, and all of a sudden you got a little blow up and then it calms down again. But uh, it's a great time. Thankfully, spring is here. I did tell my wife I was really glad this didn't come in the dead of winter. At least we're getting some decent weather in most of the country and things will be improving in that regard. So there's no better time to get out there in the backyard if you're able and uh, shoot some arrows. And, and, you know, it's a noble goal for 2020, given the circumstances, to say, hey, why not make this the year that we head into bow hunting season shooting better than we've ever shot because we've got the time to do the practice. But of course, as you know, and as you preach all the time, lots of practice is only beneficial if it's lots of good practice you know practicing bad habits or technique is is no more beneficial than not practicing at all so with that i will throw it to you and um you know maybe just talk about some of the fundamentals that you personally pay attention to and as you're going through the same process you know like you said you're dusting off your bow you're getting back out there how do you go about rebuilding re-establishing your routine each year randy well first of all um we're very fortunate most of us are very fortunate because uh, archery is something we can do it's a great diversion for me it's it's like i say it's it's one of the most relaxing things I can do again, because I shoot best when I'm very relaxed and it kind of forces you to relax. And the other thing is it's an outdoor activity and most of us can do it in our backyard. even if we can only shoot 15 or 20 yards. Uh, and it's something you can do completely by yourself. So you can self isolate, shoot your bow, calm your, calm your nerves down and, and accomplish a lot of things. But each year when I start Christian, I spent a great deal of time as a competitive target archer, as you know, and, 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 and you hit the nail on the head. Um, practice is good, but perfect practice is, is much better. And in order to, uh, <clears throat> in order to start off on the wrong foot, a lot of people, I'd say most of us, me included, even I would say everyone that's even good competitive shooters have a lot of um, issues that we deal with. All of us have problems with our form, problem, problems with our mental game. So what I do every year, and it's a little boring, but it is very relaxing, at least for me, is I start out before I ever, I don't just grab my bow off of the shelf, my hunting bow, and go out and start shooting at targets. Now that's the funnest thing to do, obviously, but if you want to work on some of the bad habits that you've developed in the previous year, the best thing to do is is get your bow, uh, get up close to the target. I have a, a hanging um, bag uh, right here just outside my office door, 
And I will, first of all, I crank my hunting bow down about 10 pounds. So I, I typically shoot about 72 pounds when I'm hunting. I'll crank it down to say 60 pounds, 55 or 60 pounds to start with. And then I just start shooting with my eyes closed. And even though I hunt with a, with a index finger release, I do the vast majority of my practice with a, uh, tension release, um, back tension release or a hinge, hinge type release, whatever you want to call it, a surprise release. And so I, I get my, um, my hinge release and my bow set at a lower poundage and I read some of my old notes, just, okay, what were the issues I dealt with last spring and last summer? And I pretty much remember them. And so what I do when I shoot with my eyes closed is I'll start out only shooting like 10 or 15 arrows, but between each arrow, uh, I think about the way the shot felt and think about my form and what I'm doing wrong. And if you shoot with your eyes closed, it's very, very interesting. At least for me, I find that I can sense everything that I'm doing because you you, you removed the stimulus of aiming. And and that's a huge diversion uh, away from shooting with good form uh, because you're more concerned with when the bow is going to go off and and how steady the pin is is being held. When you shoot with your eyes closed, you can completely relax and you can completely feel every part of the shot. I'll, I'll start out thinking mostly about my front hand because... Interestingly enough, uh, the front hand is the most difficult thing to completely relax, and it's the most difficult thing to to keep relaxed and not get involved in the shot because your front hand really shouldn't be involved in the shot at all. It's just it should just be like a post out there holding the bow in position. It should be completely relaxed. So I focus on that, and I focus on my anchor point, and I. Do not worry about how long it takes for the shot to go off. I just want to feel that perfect form, that perfect relaxation. And I want that relaxation to continue on from the beginning of the shot. And it takes a while for you to get that per- the feel of a perfect shot. But I like to quit way before I get tired. Okay? The reason being is when you're tired, you will form – you will – exacerbate and also uh, kind of confirm bad behavior. So I, I quit shooting before I get tired. I want to quit on a perfect shot. But then one of the most important things you're doing by by shooting originally is getting back in shape. So I've reduced the poundage on my bow so I can have perfect form. However, you need to get back in shape and you're not going to get in tip top shape. If you're only shooting 10 or 15 shots with your bow, uh, set at a lighter poundage. So each time I practice at the end of my practice session, I pull my bow back, uh, 10 or 15, 20 times, however many times I can pull it back, pull it back to exhaustion. And then on the last shot, I'll just, I mean, on the last time I pull the bow back, I will just hold the bow as long as I can till I start getting shaky and then let it down. And so I've accomplished two things. I've, I've worked on my form with using perfect form and, and perfect relaxation. So I'm separating out 
the process of shooting from the process of getting in shape. So I've accomplished two things at once. That's really interesting. So how long does this stage of your preparation last before you move to, you know, going out to 20 yards and starting to actually, you know, shoot at a spot, if you will? Well, for me, um, I've been doing this so long that it, that particular stage only takes about a week and, you know, shooting every day. Um, and then I'll still leave my bow at a lower weight, but, um, I will go out and start shooting targets as soon as I can feel completely relaxed and feel like I'm making perfect shots. Now, even though I'm going out to shoot at targets, I still shoot my first five, six shots with my eyes closed. And when I'm competing, I'm much more disciplined. And when I'm competing, I'll do that in every practice session throughout the year. Um, because it's very important to realize what a perfect shot feels like. And it's very difficult to take that feeling of a perfectly well-executed, relaxed, surprise-release shot from the bag, the hanging bag, to shooting while aiming. It's a very, very difficult transition. I wanted to just have you touch on this whole idea of what you said is very, very interesting because you're talking about feeling a perfect shot and feeling confident that you made a perfect shot. And I'm sure that some of the listeners are, are sitting there as they're hearing you say that and they're thinking, how does Randy know he made a per perfect shot? He was two feet away from the target with his eyes closed. And, you know, because most of us, right, we're judging the quality of a shot based on where the arrow went in relation to the bullseye or the vital area. And, it's a whole different philosophy that you're approaching from where you're judging the quality of the shot based on the execution of your shot process versus, you know, being obsessed about where the arrow ended up. Well, if I had to pick one problem, one psychological problem that creates more issues in archery than anything else, it's worrying about where the arrow is hitting. And I know that seems counterintuitive. However, I judge a shot by how well I executed the shot. Now, let me explain. <clears throat> if I am in that perfect shot mode where everything is completely relaxed, what happens is I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Levi Morgan. I don't care if you're Randy Olmo. I don't care who you are. Your pin moves. Okay. Now, obviously, in a top pro shooter, their pin moves less than the average bow hunter's pin. It doesn't matter. It is the same process, and it's the same mental process. You have to accept that your pin is not going to be perfectly in the middle of the spot every time the shot goes off. Trying to make the shot go off when you're perfectly in the middle of the spot creates a lot of psychological angst. So there's a lot of things you can do to hold steadier. However, you must accept the fact that your, I'll call it your range of wiggle 
is your range of where that arrow is going to hit. Once you accept that and make a perfect shot, in spite of the fact that you're wiggling around, I've hit the bullseye many times right in the middle with a less than perfect shot. And I've made perfect shots that didn't hit the bullseye. My point is that in the long run, you're going to do vastly better focusing on your form and your relaxation and reducing your wiggling, but not trying to stop your wiggling and making a perfect surprise release than you are making the perfect shot in the middle when you punched the trigger or you grabbed a hold of the bow or you did something wrong form-wise. So I judge a shot, not by where the arrow is. Now in a competition, obviously, you know, if you get lucky and hit the 12 ring, you know, yeah, that was a great shot. Well, yeah, it might've been a great shot and you know, you're going to feel better about it. However, if you want to be on the top of your game long-term and do the best you can overall on average, the perfect shot is the shot that is completely relaxed. It is not a time shot. And it is a shot where your per- shot was your, 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 your form was perfect. That's the perfect shot. So, and I can actually feel the perfect shot much easier. I'm much more cognizant of it when I'm shooting with my eyes closed. It's much more difficult to be cognizant of full relaxation when you're aiming. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt you, but I think that that was a really beneficial, uh, you know, perspective that you offered there. So uh, with that, I will let you, you know, sort of continue on uh, where you were and, and talking about, you know, just, uh, you know, continuing with some of that blank bail shooting at the start of every session. And then as you start to shoot on targets, uh, that's kind of where you were picking up, I guess. Yeah, well, when, when I'm at home, you know, and I do the vast majority of my practicing at home, um, I, will shoot, I will shoot at a blank bell for an, enough shots. Sometimes when I'm really on top of my game, like when I'm competing, um, it only takes a couple of shots. It's just like I fall right into perfect relaxation almost instantly. Um, sometimes it'll take 10 or 15 shots. It's just, you know, you got something you're worried about, you know, works bugging you, family stuff, whatever. And uh, you can't quite get your mind relaxed and get into the game. And I may take 15 shots before I, I go out and, and start shooting for, for score, or just going out and actually shooting it while I'm aiming. Then at the end of my practice session, I'll go ahead and, uh, and come back in. And I can oftentimes tell how well I shot in practice uh, by how I feel when I go in and shoot my first, my, my, my first arrow with my eyes closed. I, so uh, just to make that perfectly clear, I shoot with my eyes closed at the beginning of every practice session. I shoot with my eyes closed at the end of every practice session. And the reason being is I want to start my practice session shooting perfect shots. Um, just so that my subconscious knows what that perfect shot is. I want to end my practice session with that perfectly relaxed form because what happens when you're aiming 
when you're shooting while aiming, you start getting anxieties. There's just this a mild thing that you want the you want the shot to happen when you're when you're in the middle of the spot, and you don't like the fact that your pin is moving around. So you get these little anxieties, and you went from shooting perfect arrows right before your practice session to shooting not so perfect shots at the end of your practice session. So again, I want to reestablish with my subconscious what a shot is supposed to feel like. So that's why I go ahead and shoot some practice shots with my eyes closed at the end of the practice session. So what are the basics of your shot routine, um, you know, beyond the, 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 the blank bail shooting that you've just discussed, getting yourself relaxed at the beginning, uh, reinforcing uh, the positives there at the end, regardless of what you may have struggled with during that actual session. Now let's talk about when you are, um, you know, shooting at a, at a target of some sort, whether that be, you know, a 3D animal or a, a Vegas, uh, you know, FETA type, a target face. Um, do you have certain aspects of your form and execution that you sort of run through like a, a checklist that are the basic building blocks of your, your shot? And if you do all those, you know, five steps or seven steps or whatever it is in your mind, if you do all those things well, you've got typically a good result. Well, when I first started shooting competition, uh, I was very uh, organized. I would, I had this, uh, it's about 10, 10 items long that I would run through. Actually, I would actually read my, I'd have this, this checklist that I'd read through before I started a practice session. But I've been shooting so long that it, if something's not right, okay, like let's say that uh, I was a beginning shooter, you're a beginning shooter. Uh, or you just uh, are still working on your form. You just haven't perfected your form. Yeah, you, you start out, obviously, stance. And not only stance, but posture. You know, you want to be you want to be relaxed. You, you, you don't want your knees, uh, you know, you don't want your knees locked tight. You want them ever so slightly bent, so they're relaxed. But you want your hips kind of forward, kind of at an, as in an at-ease position. Because... What you're looking and, and and when you're at full draw, you want your shoulders to be down and relaxed. What you're trying to accomplish, and this is very basic stuff, but what but it's important because I still see a lot of very uh, bow hunters have been shooting forever that don't follow these steps. What you're looking to do is you're looking to utilize your muscles, and and I know this seems counterintuitive, but you want to utilize your muscles as little as possible. You want your joints to hold you up, you want your bones to hold you up, and you want the ligaments in your in your joints and your and your back and your hips to be holding you up. Uh, and you want the ligaments and the joints and the bones to be holding the bow up as well. And obviously you have to incorporate some muscles to hold the bow up and to hold the bow back at full draw. However you want to 
incorporate big muscles. So you want to have what we call back tension. You know, you, you, and, and when I, I almost hate the term back tension because I, I don't like the term tension. You want to be holding the boat back with the big muscles of your back because they're closer to the spine and they're more steady. A lot of people use a lot of the smaller muscles of their arms and their hands to hold the bow. And those muscles need to be as relaxed as possible. So you're holding the bow back and up, and you're aiming with the large muscles of your back. And what that does, large muscles closer to the spine are much, much steadier. If you're incorporating a lot of small muscles further out in your arms, they're not nearly as steady. So if, if you're using the big muscles to hold the bow back, it's going to be much more steady. So... Hopefully, by this point, you've, you've developed a good anchor, but you want to come back into a position, and, and you have to learn this position by having someone else look at you, but you want your, you, you want your elbow, your, 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 your release hand elbow, and your, from your elbow to your forearm, through the release, through the arrow, to be in, a, in perfect alignment with the arrow. And you really can't tell yourself if you're there. You need that. You need to either have someone up on a ladder looking at you, uh, and to make sure that that alignment is perfect. And that's very important because if you have perfect alignment, small changes will make less a different make less difference than if you don't have perfect alignment. Non-perfect alignment. Say your elbows uh, an inch or two uh, to the left of a line that the arrow uh, is on. Um, it's much more difficult to to maintain that every time. And if that if you cha- if you change that a quarter inch from shot to shot, it makes a much bigger difference than if you changed uh, a quarter of an inch and you were in perfect alignment. I hope that makes sense. Um, so you want to have a a an anchor, and and I I again I hate the term anchor because it anchor indicates that it's something hard and fast. An anchor just needs to be a touch, just a baby's breath touch, so that you know you're doing uh, everything exactly the same way every time. You do need to touch your face with your hand. But the bowstring shouldn't touch your face anywhere unless it's a baby breath type touch on your chin. Um, And I, I firmly believe that you need to keep the string at the tip of your nose and that is what that's the peep is really the most important anchor you don't have to have a firm anchor so a nice relaxed anchor a very relaxed front hand and you need to start out putting your front hand in the bow exactly the same way every time and and that requires quite a bit of work until you can have that bow hand placed in the bow exactly the same way every time and I want the bow, the pressure of the handle of the bow, to be exactly in the middle. And this is kind of a little difficult to explain, but let me say it this way. If you had a rod and you ran it exactly between the two bones of your forearm, your radius and your ulna, and that rod went straight between those two bones lengthwise and it came out on your palm 
that is the place the pressure needs to be on your bow because it's very easy to maintain. Even if you cut off all your fingers and your thumb, the bow wouldn't move to the left or the right. You want that to be perfect every time. If you fully relax your hand and the bow moves, then you're not in the right position. And then you want to maintain a perfectly relaxed bow hand. And then you want a surprise release. You want your shoulders down because a lot of people will hunch their shoulders up. If you're hunching your shoulders up, you're using much more muscularity than you need to. If you let your shoulders drop and let the bow hang from your shoulder girdle, it's hanging from ligaments and it's hanging from bone. It's not being supported by muscle and it'll be much steadier than. And then you just need to be relaxed and you need to have a surprise release. Yeah, that that surprise release is something that, you know, so many people struggle with and people think that they know what it is, but they probably don't. And, and I'd say that because I was someone who never really understood that until after I struggled very, very badly with target panic. And it was through the process of trying to overcome that and failing to overcome that and getting progressively more frustrated about it and ultimately reaching out to both you and John Dudley and getting some hinge releases and gradually uh, retraining, reprogramming myself with those and then uh, ultimately switching over to a, a Carter Evolution uh, tension activated release to hunt with, which I continue to hunt with uh, to this day. And I'm proud to say, Randy, that I've never had uh, a bad outcome uh, since I switched to that release. It's amazing uh, what that release has done for my confidence and for my uh just my my success on uh, making the best of opportunities in the field, but uh, for for those who ha who don't experience a surprise release, it's one of those things. Like I like to say, you you don't know what it is, or you don't know that you didn't know what it is until until it happens, and then you're like, oh. That's what the surprise release is. And it, for me, anyway, it was sort of uh, an epiphany. And I wonder if you might perhaps talk a little bit about this whole concept of the surprise release and um, how that ought to feel and how that ought to might feel um, mentally, because it can actually be a little bit um scary at first, if you will. Scary might not be the perfect word, but you know, one thing that I think that you may talk about, or, or I think I've heard John talk about, when you, if you'd be at full draw and close your eyes and just uh, let somebody else reach out and hit the, the trigger on your release, you know, that's a surprise release. And, and so you don't know when it's coming. And then when it does come, it catches you by total surprise. And I've heard that uh, suggested as a way to maybe simulate the feeling of what it's like when you do that yourself by properly using your own release aid. But with that, I will let you sort of enlighten us uh, better on that topic. 
Well, you know, you mentioned John Dudley. I've known John for 30 years. Um, I knew him when he was just a kid. I mean, I'm guessing he was a teenager, 18, 19 years old. And John had great shooting for him. Um, really likable guy. And he's just fun to be around and uh, just a good guy. And when I was at the top of my game, um, and he, he was good enough that he had joined the pro ranks. And John had a terrible target panic issue. I, he punched the trigger at 90 miles an hour. And I shot with him. He was in my group one day at an ASA. And um, I watched him struggle, and I, it was it was painful. So at the end of the day, I handed him one of my um, – hinge releases. And I said, John, I said, you're probably going to end up being a great shooter, but you're never going to be a great shooter doing what you're doing now. Take this. Let me show you how to use it. Shoot this thing. And, and John writes about this. Uh, he's talked about it on podcasts several times, but, um, that changed his whole shooting career. Um, using a back tension release and, and that's the same for everybody. You're, you're a contemporary, you're, you're, um, the editor of Bowhunter magazine for the, a long time was, and Dwight Shue, Dwight got to the point, now Dwight's recently passed away, but he's talked about this in articles as well. Um, Dwight got to the point where he couldn't hit game animals because his, his punching and his target panic was so bad. He would miss completely and not even realize that he had yanked the trigger and, and yanked the bow. So Dwight came down and, and, uh, to Arizona, he lived in Idaho. He came down and, and I worked with him for a while. And, uh, you know, it was at the end of the archery season and I made him promise not to go back to a, trigger release until he had shot this back tension release exclusively uh, for six months. Well, it completely changed Dwight. Um, Dwight was all of a sudden able to shoot great groups and, and he actually used it for hunting as you do. Now there's obviously a big disadvantage because it's much more difficult to time your shots. You know, if a white tail bucks walking by you can't just shoot it you have to wait for it to stop which is a slight disadvantage but the advantage is when you do shoot um that's only going to happen occasionally but when you do shoot you're much more likely to actually kill the animal and and dwight continued using a a back tensioner a a, um hand release for the rest of his hunting career and he was much much more successful so the reason I'm saying all that is because <clears throat> I guess I'm a little bit fanatical about the utilization of a hinge type release to keep your shot honest. And I've never had target panic knock on wood, uh, but everybody, I say that, but everybody has a little anxiety about when the shot's going to go off, everyone. And if you practice with a hinge release, um, it will teach you how to experience a completely relaxed surprise release. Now, I would encourage every hunter, every hunter to own 
a hinge release. And if you will take a hinge release, learn how to shoot it, find someone in your area that knows how to shoot it properly, and shoot with your eyes closed at a blank bail, you will learn what a surprise release is. Now, there's one huge flaw with um, using a hinge release. Almost every hinge release out there has on one side of the half moon, it'll have a clip, meaning that right before it's ready to go off, it'll click. So it'll click, and then you know you only have to go you know, a millimeter further before it actually shoots. That is, you just changed your hinge release into a trigger release. So you have to make sure you're not using the, the, the hinge with a click. You have to turn the half moon around and use it without the click. <clears throat> so I would encourage every hunter to do that in the off season. Learn what a surprise release is. Hopefully, <clears throat> it does so much to, to cure some people of target panic that they insist on using it while hunting, which is fine. You have to be more selective in your shots. However, um, do what I do if you can, and that's practice for most of the season with your hinge release. And then when it comes time to actually go hunting, your subconscious is going to be so used to a surprise release that you're able to shoot a trigger release and the shot will still be a surprise because your subconscious is, is, is allowing it to be a surprise release. Yeah, I just want to I want to clarify one thing, Randy. I don't hunt with a hinge. I shoot. I hunt with a. It's a true tension activated where you you push the jaw closed to lock it in place, and then my my thumb button is actually a safety. So you draw the bow by holding the safety down, and once you release that. It's just by increasing pressure on the string that when you get there's a there's an adjustment screw right where I can I can basically set it that it's going to go you know maybe five or seven pounds of pressure beyond my let off weight so if I'm holding say twelve pounds at let off when that gets to maybe you know, 16 or 17 pounds of pressure or something like that, the jaw just lets go and the shot pulls. And the reason I bring it back up is you talked about how with the hinge release, and by the way, I did initially when I went through all that with Target Panic, my very first hunt after that was a Wyoming whitetail hunt. And I tried, <clears throat> excuse me, to hunt with a hinge release and that didn't go very well and then I switched over to this evolution which is a tension activated and I've stuck with that but with a tension a true tension activated release like that I can actually shoot pretty quick because all you have to do is pull hard if you pull hard fast the the shot will go and usually if there's a big animal in front of you and you're pretty excited it's amazing how much preload sometimes the shot goes so quickly once I release that safety that you know you didn't realize how amped up you probably were I mean I was probably pulling pretty hard into those draw stops at that moment but it's fine as long as you've already settled your pin because the arrow is going to go you know right where you want it to and which brings me to a, another funny saying and I don't know if if you ever use this, but I, I I tell people all the time when they're struggling with their shooting, I ask a question and 
Nobody ever knows the answer. It's it's a, it's like a trick question. The answer is so obvious. I always ask people, I said, you know where the arrow goes when you let the string go, don't you? And like people just look at you and they're like, huh? I'm like, where does the arrow go when the string is released? And they're like, I, I don't know. I'm like, it goes wherever the pin was when the string was released. And the reason that you're not hitting where you want to is because you are having a mental malady that is preventing you from putting the pin where it needs to be. And that's target panic. You know, that's how it's manifesting itself. And so for me, it's just been so neat because now instead of being very anxious and almost dreading those moments, you know, like similar to what you were talking about where Dwight, where you'd go on this hunt and, and, and instead of looking forward to having your opportunity, right, you'd have some dread about it because you'd be scared you were going to blow the shot. And now for the last, this is going back a while now since I, I went through all this, you know, five, six, seven years now. And now it's like, man, when I come to full draw on an animal and I'm just focused on, you know, letting that pin flow and it's like, you know, and maybe you can relate to this. Isn't it nice to know even before the shot breaks that the animal is dead because you're looking at the animal the pin is on the vitals, and while you don't know the exact millisecond that that shot's going to go, you know that it's very soon, sometime probably within the next couple of seconds. And when it happens, there's no way that you're not going to fill your tag because the only place the arrow can go is exactly where it's going to, where the pin is is when the when the shot breaks and man that is a confident feeling to have when you're when you're shooting, whether it's in the field or, or on the target line. Yeah, exactly. And and the kind of release you're talking about, it, I included that in there. It it's basically does the same thing for you mentally. Um, it forces you to stick with the shot. Now, it's a little easier to control what you're calling a tension release because you can just pull straight back. And with a, you know, with a hinge release, you actually have to rotate it somewhat. So I really love the type of release you're trying to use. And you've obviously learned how to, how to time it somewhat to, so it's going to happen within a second or so. Um, and you can actually do that with a hinge release too. You can hurry it along. But the whole point of any of these type of releases is they're obviously not the the release you'd like most to hunt with because you'd like to be able to time your shot when you need to. However, all the advantages these releases bring uh, far outweigh the advantage, the disadvantages. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I I love the kind of release that you're 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 talking about. Yeah, I actually wish I actually wish more more people would make them, more people, more manufacturers would offer them, and and I actually wish that as an industry, um, we turned more people on to hinges and tension activated releases right from the start. You know what's funny is I think for a lot of people when it comes to target panic, so much of the anxiety has to do with the conscious connection between your brain and the trigger. And then either your thumb or your index finger that's operating that trigger, there's such a conscious a connection between squeezing that trigger or punching that trigger and where the pin is at a given moment that it, it just sets people up for failure from the start, which is to say that if, you know, why do we take 
pretty much every new shooter in the whole country and, and, and we give them a wrist strap index finger release when they get their first bow. And it's like, here, it's like giving somebody something like, here, take this, it'll work. But over time, you're going to develop anxiety and you're going to have problems that you need to fix. I'm like, why don't we just start everybody with a hinge release and teach them the right way? And it's like, I think as a, as a archery community, you know, we need to steer people more in that direction. And I'm not sure why the, the trigger activated releases, you know, continue to be so dominant when we know the benefits of, of uh, back tension releases. It's, it's to decrease frustration. If you give someone a hinge release, uh, starting out with a hinge release, it, it's frustrating. Whereas you can hand a, a trigger, and most people have shot guns before they ever shoot a bow, and it's, it's just natural, and it's more fun, and you can get them hitting the target right away. Um, you, interesting that you say that because, because I know, uh, I know the, the first step to a slippery slope down the slippery slope is is a trigger so when i taught my wife to shoot she was not she was not even aware that there was such a thing as a trigger release she was given a a tension release the same thing with my two kids my two kids i let them shoot with fingers as long as they wanted to but when they decided they wanted to go to release the only release they got was a, a hinge release and what it did is it taught them good shooting form and it taught them to make a surprise release before they could develop the bad habits that uh, uh, almost everyone that starts with the trigger release, especially an index finger trigger release, uh, almost all those people eventually will develop some bad habits. And then once a bad habit is formed, uh, it's much harder to get rid of than it is to avoid in the first place. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and probably the only more annoying thing for somebody who has some of those bad habits is a reformed index uh, trigger release shooter like me. You know, I'm probably like as annoying as the ex-smoker to the smoker because I know when I go to, you know, say a total archery challenge or a local club shoot or things like this and you just stand and you watch these people shooting and you're like, man, most, you know, 90 percent of these guys are just totally punching the trigger you know and I don't really say anything to anybody but you can just see that there's so much potential there to your shooting but to your point going back to those early days of John Dudley you're not going to achieve your full potential if you don't change the way that you're you're you know triggering those shots because uh, you're just holding yourself back well, you kind of become an evangelical. You found Jesus, and he's made you very happy, and he's changed your life, and you want everyone else to be happy and have their lives changed. <laughs> so you want to go out there, and you want to proselytize for Jesus, uh, and which is a good thing, but it can be irritating for people that really don't want to know about Jesus. So, it, yeah, it's very similar. You've kind of you, you found the light, and you want to share it. Well, and, and truth, truth be told, and you know, you encounter this, Randy, is it not almost, um, you know, I actually wrote about this recently in a column. I said, you know, nobody likes change anyway. Humans as a, as a species, we're, we're not very fond of change. Some people deal with it better than others, but generally speaking, people don't like change. And when it, so, so it's no surprise that as bow hunters, we don't like change when it comes to our equipment or our hunting area or whatever. And I said, you know, you might convince a buddy to try a new quiver 
or maybe some new arrows or something. But I said, now you start talking about like changing broadheads uh, or, or putting a different like rest on their bow. Now it's starting to get a little personal. And I was like, then if you start talking about changing what release you're going to use now, all of a sudden you're going to be met with about as much enthusiasm for that change as the coronavirus quarantine. You understand what I'm saying? And so it is actually amazing to me when people tell you that you're struggling and you suggest this idea of, well, why don't you go take this hinge release and, and start practicing with this thing? And it's like, man, they about flat out refuse to do it. And uh, it, it, it just it's it's too bad, I guess. But like you said, I'm a I'm an evangelical. Well, I've got several friends that are. uh well, geez, um, some of them, you know, very well, they're famous outdoorsmen, they're famous writers and, you know, been friends with them for 20 or 30 years. And periodically they'll ask me, you know, Hey, what can I do to, I just can't, I just can't shoot that. Well, what should I do? And I'll say, well, you want me to tell you what you want to hear, or do you want me to tell you what you need to do? And they are so <laughs> adamant that they do not want to change their release style. Um, and I would have to say the vast majority of them, the issue they have is with the way they let the arrow go and whether they know when the arrow is going to go or whether they don't. And it's a feeling, it's very uncomfortable for them to not have control over when that arrow leaves the bow. And so they're very resistant to change, and, and some of them I've known for 30 years, and they still haven't changed. Um, you know, I, I don't want to pick a name out, but a very, very famous bow hunter and a great bow hunter has told me. He said, you know, people think that I'm a pretty decent bow hunter, at least some people do, and I said, I'm really not a very good bow hunter. The thing about me is the fact that 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 when I shoot at something, I usually kill it, and so I don't have to have as many opportunities or be as good as other people are because they miss more frequently maybe than I do, and I'm not saying I haven't missed. I've missed a lot, but um, I think compared to the average bow hunter, I might miss less, and I have a very famous bow hunter who's been a friend. I've been friends with him for 35 years, and he's probably the best bow hunter I know, and he's told me flat out, he goes, you know, if I had to discipline to learn and to let you teach me to shoot. If I could shoot, he goes, I would have killed so many world-class animals. And he's killed a lot of world-class animals. He'd say, I, I, he says, I miss a lot. He said, I would have three times as many trophies as I have now, which is unbelievable. But when he gets ready to shoot an animal, he, he gets that anxiety that you were talking about because he doesn't know if he's going to kill it. You know, he may go on a, a two-week trip or a sheep or whatever, and when it finally comes down to the shot, he's so nervous about the shot because he knows that there's a good chance that he's going to miss because he has these form problems, these form issues. But yet, it is so uncomfortable for him to to take a deep look at himself and actually make the changes that he doesn't do it. So it's, it's if crazy. you really want to, I mean, and I'm not saying people have to change the way they shoot. It really is a personal thing. If you really want to 
become a good shooter, and I'm not talking about a tournament archer. I'm just talking about someone that consistently can make the shot when they need to under pressure because those are the shots that kill you. Those are the shots that you think of for years, the big buck or the big bull, whatever it is that you have a good shot at and you miss or worse than you wound the animal. Those are the things that torture you for years. Now, if you want to become a, a, a better shot and more likely to shoot and get those animals when you're under pressure, then you need to think about improving the way you let go of the arrow. Now, the problem is, is if you have punching issues, if you have target panic issues, if you time your shot, the time that that is... The situations where that is manifested most is in high-pressure situations, which, as we all know, is, is when you're shooting at a trophy animal. Yeah, yeah, and you, you, uh, you hit the nail on the head. You made a reference to um, the idea of being able to um, do it in the context of making good shots when the pressure's on, and it doesn't have anything to do with being like, the world's greatest archer. And what I mean is this, you, Randy Ulmer, are a guy who, as you get ramped up with your shooting sessions here throughout the spring and summer, you're going to get to a point where you're going to start to shoot broadhead groups at 100 yards. And I've seen pictures of your 100-yard broadhead groups, and I'm going to tell everybody right now, as no surprise to any of them, that I could not beat you in a 100-yard broadhead shooting contest. But that's not the point. The point is, am I good enough with the benefits that this release has brought to me and the way that it's helped me to, you know, improve that if you put an animal within 50 yards or less of me when I'm on a hunt and I'm confident that I'm going to kill that, like 100% of the time, not, not ever, nothing's 100, right? But like more than 90% of the time, absolutely, I will look you in the eye and say absolutely. And I'm not bragging because I, I don't, you know, feel like I'm that much greater than anybody else. It's just that it's truly freeing. You know, you talk about the guys who are afraid to give up that control, but actually when you give up that control and instead of having to have all this anxiety about shooting, all of a sudden your job isn't shooting anymore. Your job is letting the shot happen. All you have to do is relax, look through your peep sight, let the plin float on the vitals, and let the bow shoot itself. And then it shoots itself, and the arrow goes exactly where you wanted it to go, and you end up holding nice antlers and posing for hero shots a few minutes after that. And it's just wonderful. Who wouldn't rather have that than, than a 50-50 crapshoot of whether you're going to fill your tag? Well, you really don't have to be a great archer, a great shooter, to be a great hunter because the vast majority of my shots are 40 yards and under and you know my limit is 60 um and the thing is is you know very there's not very many archers out there bow hunters out there that can't make a 40 yard shot at a deer's vital let's say it's the size of a volleyball um that's not an incredible group. Um, you can do that, 
But the key is to be able to do it under pressure. You can certainly hold your pin that steady. But like you say, you you just have to make sure that you're not interfering with the bow shooting the shot and interfering it by grabbing the bow, punching the trigger, um, doing all the things, or not being able to put the pin on the spot. Um, all those things will make you miss. And and if you if you get over the fact that you feel like you need to control exactly when that shot's going to go and you kind of surrender yourself to um, a surprise release, uh, like you keep saying, it is so freeing because all of a sudden when you see an animal, you're going, and I got him. I got him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Listen, you know, we're we're sort of coming up on, on time, but there is one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and that's this. Um, wanted to talk about how you sort of recognize uh, when you're having an issue with something, some things that you might commonly have a problem with. I know for me, uh, I think something that tends to struggle or crop up for me is my follow through. And a lot of times if I see my arrows drifting, uh, especially for me as a left-handed shooter, if I see my arrows drifting to the right, it it might be you know poor follow through and I'm not holding that form after the shot and I'll remind myself about that a lot of times I can bring those groups you know back in better by by being a little more aware of that but talk to me about some of the things that you might find that are easy for people because you've worked with a lot of shooters, obviously, over the years, and you've been around a lot of the best shooters and, and a lot of probably really mediocre shooters and beginning shooters, too. What are some of the common problems that you see, and how can we as archers learn to self-diagnose those problems so that we can get back on track before they deteriorate to the point that they're causing us real big issues? Well, okay, there's a whole bunch of portions to that question. Um, we've kind of beat the dead horse of the <laughs> of the surprise release, um, but that's the biggest one. But So we'll skip that because we've already talked about it so much. Um, and just a few words on follow-through since you brought it up. Um, follow-through, what some people consider really good follow through is the bow never moving so um let's say the bow is aiming at the target you're at full draw you shoot and the bow doesn't fall it just kind of stays there uh stretched outward towards the target that is not good follow through and let me explain why if you if you, you are completely relaxed your bow arm is completely relaxed at the time of the shot. A portion of what, a portion of the forces, one of the vectors that is holding the bow up is you holding the bow back at full draw. Naturally, if all your muscles maintain the exact same thing that they were doing at the moment of the shot, the bow should fall away, and for a right-handed shooter, it'll fall mostly down, maybe a little bit to the left, because you do have some back tension, or you're using the back muscles. So the bow should fall away, okay? It shouldn't drop like a rock, 
because that means that as soon as the shot goes, you are completely changing what you're doing and you're completely relaxing those muscles. However, if the bow stays in the exact same place and people consider that good follow through because it looks so great because nothing changes after the shot, you are actually increasing the muscular tension in your shoulder arm to hold that bow up after the shot's going on. So my, my point is this, nothing should change when the arrow is released. Nothing about your form should change. If all of a sudden the bow stays in exactly the same place, you are actually incorporating more muscle fibers. So those people that do that are actually timing the shot because they know when the shot's going to go off. And so their, their front hand, their front arm is actually at that moment, they incorporate muscles to hold the thing in place. So the bow should fall down and away. I want you not to change anything, anything from the time that that arrow is released till the time it hits the target. And the best way to learn follow through is again, and I, again, I'm, I'm beating this as well, but is to shoot with your eyes closed and think about your follow through while you're shooting. And you're going to feel if everything's relaxed, you're going to feel that bow falling down in a way. So follow through is very important, but what some people consider good follow through is horrible follow through. So you watch any pro on the line. I'm talking about a world-class professional archer. Their bow will fall as they shoot. Now it just doesn't drop like a rock. Like they're just completely relaxing everything at once. They maintain, well, first of all, they're having a surprise release. There's only one or two top level pros in the world that actually don't use a surprise release. And they are just, um, freaks of nature that they can get away with it. But every once in a while that well, more often than every once in a while, they, they kind of go into a, a plane crash mode where everything falls apart. The most consistent day in and day out shooters, uh, at the world level are shooting a surprise release. You'll actually see these shooters like Levi Morgan. I just watched him shoot a, uh, an ASA competition. So, he might be shooting a trigger release through the competition. When it comes to the high pressure shooting, he pulls out a back tension release because it's going to keep him honest. And there's a lot of people like that. I, I, I mostly competed with a back tension release. Um, but my point is, is you need to have that surprise release. And I kind of forgot. <laughs> I forgot what your question was. I went off on a tangent. No, that's okay. And, and yes, and I think that your points on follow through were very good. Um, and to your point, you know, yeah, you you are going to have some natural movement. And if you're not, right, that's that's where you say that the the archer is actually putting some conscious muscle into the bow that's counteracting what it naturally wants to do. I think with me, it, it's more of sometimes, um, you know, some peaking, if you will, you know, you're, you're wanting to watch that arrow. So you're just adding unnecessary movement that wouldn't necessarily be a natural extension of the, the shot or 
uh, probably as often as not maybe a sign of just fatigue too so maybe it's time to, to wrap it up for the day because if you're your muscle uh, or your arm, your bow arm starts to get tired after a certain amount of time. And, you know, you talked about not using a lot of muscle, but I I guess at some point, you know, either I'm using too much or at some point you're going to get tired anyway, uh, because you got to use, you know, I guess some, some amount of of muscle to hold the bow Yes. But a lot of times, if you will watch your follow through, okay, when you're fresh and when you're following through well and you're relaxed, uh, or if you're just shooting with your eyes closed, you watch your bow and uh, see how it falls. What you'll find is is as you develop tension, especially in your bow hand or your bow arm, what will happen is your bow will start falling away a different way. And what that tells me is that you are are not allowing the bow to shoot the shot, but you're interfering with the bow during the shot with a little bit of torque, uh, a little bit of uphand pressure, downhand pressure, you're doing something a little bit different. And that's why, especially a bow with a long stabilizer, you know, like we use for target archery, you watch the end of that stabilizer. And if the end of that stabilizer is all, all of a sudden doing something different than it does when you shoot a completely relaxed, eyes closed shot, you realize that your form has changed and you have to figure out what it is and how to relax that form. Well, I, I think I think that uh, we will wrap it up with that. And it reminds me what you just said reminds me of another little saying that I tell people all the time. And that is this. The bow will put the arrow exactly where you want it to be. All you have to do is let it. And, you know, which brings me to one other little aphorism. It's a it's your trademark in my mind, Randy, and you've probably written it hundreds of times over the years in your columns that you've done for us, which is, you know, you can shoot your bow in archery any way you want, as long as you do it exactly the same way every time. And the problem is, is that there's lots of ways to try and shoot a bow that don't lend themselves to doing it that way. So it's that search for consistency and and getting those fundamentals, you know, drilled in and and maintaining them that helps us to, you know, be as consistent as we can be. And uh, none of us, not even not even you, not even uh, Levi, not even Brady Ellison, you know, will ever achieve 100 percent perfection. But you're always striving for it. Right. And the thing is, you have to realize, again, it goes back. People want to be better than they are, but you have to accept where you are and accept that. And and once you accept how steady you can hold a bow and you allow yourself to have a surprise release, your, your, uh, your overall consistency from year to year to year will be much better. Well, I really appreciate it, Randy. You know, we've gone a little bit over an hour and I have no doubt that I could have a three hour or five hour conversation with you about um, shooting a bow and we still won't have covered it all. But uh, 
boy, there was a lot of good stuff there. And if, if people take nothing else away from this episode, folks, you know, listen to the evangelist because I've got Randy backing me up. I mean, he he may not be trying to proselytize you, you know, with quite the fervor that I am, but he's telling you the same thing. And he's actually a lot better than I am. So listen to Randy, get yourself a hinge release. And if nothing else, use it on the practice range and uh, you get back to us here at Peterson's Bow Hunting and tell Randy and I if you're not better off for it. Randy, thank you so much again. I wish you and your family the very best as we continue through these crazy days. And uh, I know that you hope, as I do, that well before the fall hunting seasons, this is all blown over and we will have opportunity to share uh, some stories and hopefully some nice pictures of, of animals uh, that we'll be chasing here in a few months. Well, the good thing for us, uh, being completely selfish, is uh, bow hunting is a, typically a solitary sport. So I think we'll all be out in the field one way or another. Uh, but again, hopefully that, that all changes. Well, um, Christian, it's a, a pleasure always. And uh, anytime you want me, just let me know. Will do, my friend. God bless. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.